Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we explore all things assisted reproductive technology, the personal stories of lives changed, as well as talking to experts that say um, the in-depth knowledge of, of different ways that babies are born and all the aspects involved, and as well as how the law is changing in this area and how the law is changing how families are recognized. I'm Ellen Trackman. I'm an attorney specialized in assisted reproductive technology law, and I'm honored to be here with my co-host, Jennifer White, to uh, explore further. Yay! I'm not an attorney. I am merely a a human who juggles life and moving across the country. And no, no, attorneys are not human. Unless you're Uh, exactly no. I just juggle the rest of my life and maybe sometimes part of your life as well. (laughs) But I. I know that as an attorney, you are always thrilled when we can find legal guests. Yes. So this week, we are talking to a groundbreaking attorney, uh, Eric Rubel, who is a leader in our industry and making huge changes to the law and how things go for us. So let's let's listen. We are here today with Eric Rubel. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And um, I will say, I I am so honored that you are willing to join us. You are renowned for being an attorney who really makes a difference in people's lives. Um, specifically, so assisted reproductive technology has kind of changed the possibilities of how families are formed. Specifically, if I'm a single person or I'm married to someone of the same um, the same sex, we still can form families, but the law falls behind. And you are kind of the go-to person in New York that has fought these battles to allow um, these families to be legally recognized. And I'm excited to, to dive into some of these cases. But before we do, if you don't mind giving your, your own introduction of who you are and your background that, that led to this. Uh, sure. So I've been uh, a matrimonial lawyer since 1995. And uh, basically, in around 2001, I started getting involved with the uh, same-sex marriage movement in New York. And uh, the outgrowth of that was once um, Marriage Equality Act passed in New York, and, and then we had a Obergefell, um, more of the issues turned from financial to custody. So that uh, I started getting involved with um, parents who had been, you know, couples who had been parents way before there was marriage, me being one of them as well. So we've had my, my spouse and I had children years before oh, marriage. Oh, shame was on legal. you. Before you were married? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's gas. No, that's, yeah. I know. <laughs> Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, so we, we went through the adoption process uh, uh, essentially uh, four times uh, because I adopted each of our children and then Paul did the second parent adoption in New York. So, uh, Which is crazy. You was, couldn't adopt together. You had to do it four times for two children. 
Yes. Well, Texas was not going to let uh, two gay men adopt children back in uh, 2006. That was yeah. not going to be be allowed. And, um, uh, and so, you- we, so we did the adop- I did the adoption in, in Texas and then brought Olivia back to New York. And, and we did the, the New York, the second parent adoption in New York. New York was one of the few states back then that allowed two parent adoptions for gay Yay. couples. Good job, New York. Yes. So uh, and that was by case law. That was not by statute. That was purely by by uh, the Court of Appeals acknowledging that that should be the case. Yeah. And then did your partner at the time, now spouse, adopt your other child and then you step parent? Or did you do it the same way for, for both? Uh, it was it – was- I th- actually, uh, for George, he was in Pennsylvania, um, and then we we actually did the adoption uh, in New York. Okay, we may I may have done it, or we may have done it together. I I, I don't remember, um, but that was, you know, those are those are heady times when you have the the, the, the kids coming and you know getting ready and preparing. Um, yeah, you know, George was George George. We found out was about a, a month earlier than than. Um, we were told he was going to be born. So it was oh, kind of a, wow. it was one of those scrambles to go no. to target, get some, <laughs> get some onesies, put my child, put Olivia with my mother and go get them. Wow. <laughs> well, I was just saying, and you were already a parent at that point, which just makes it all the harder. Cause it's like, yes, just, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, but at least you knew, you know, we knew um, what we were getting into and, yeah. and, and kind of the finer things. So, which is helpful in the practice too, when you're right. dealing how, with. How to install a car seat. That's very important. Yes. yes. Yep. Yes. And that a car seat is necessary. Sometimes we have to explain those things to people. <laughs> and actually, and, and one thing we learned uh, through this process, which I pass on to clients as well, is that hospitals will not let you take the child out without a car seat. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And they have to su- they have to supply it if you don't have one. So you can get a free car seat from your hospital. Oh, no. And they're good car seats. They're like no. Graco's. I've yep. never heard that. Are you sure? Positive. I left with the car in Pennsylvania. I had the car seat from the hospital. I knew I, I didn't have to buy one. Well, I had the opposite What experience. if you even are going to use public transit, though? What about public transit? Oh, I don't know. Well, so I can tell you I had the opposite experience where I brought a car seat to take a child home and they looked at it and they said, oh, no, no, this car seat is more than I think it was six years old. And they said, we are taking this from you and destroying it. You have to go get another car seat. I was like, really? And they did not provide another one for me. So but but happy to hear that some hospitals do. <laughs> Colorado is backwards in some places. I guess. Sorry. Maybe I should have demanded what maybe there is some secret that I didn't know. But Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So, Not dog anyway. in Colorado anymore. All right. Um, okay. <laughs> so uh so you got to build this wonderful family through adoption. And at the yep. same time, your legal practice was evolving from being like the hotshot divorce attorney to matrimonial attorney to now um, kind of expanding it. Yes. Okay. Do you want to do you want to talk about some of your kind of exciting cases? So um, I, I would say the first case that um, the most exciting case we had so far, um, and I'll just say so far because we we yeah. we keep coming up with with cases. <laughs> um, the, the the fact patterns get more interesting. Um, was the the Court of Appeals case, the New York Court of Appeals case. So in, in New York, prior to 2016, um, New York is kind of funny. We don't have a definition of parent in our statute. 
if you look at our domestic relations law and our family court act, there's no definition for a parent anywhere. Wow. It's a little strange. Um, so in 2001, the New York Court of Appeals had a, a, a same-sex case um, where one party was the biological and the other party to the relationship had no relation biological legal relationship to the child and sought to the, – the parties had split up and the non-biological, non-adoptive parent wanted um, parenting time. She yeah. wanted to remain in the child's life. And the case is called um, Allison D versus Virginia M. Mm-hmm. And in Allison D, the New York Court of Appeals decided to create a bright line test for parentage. And a parent was defined as either a biological or legal indivi- related individual. So it was either biology or adoption. And that was it. They did not allow any other way to create parentage. One of the ways that it had been going on was using equitable estoppel. Um, and in, under estoppel, if a party consented to you having a relationship with the child and you built a, a, an emotional relationship with the child and the child was bonded to this individual, you, rely, you lived in the same residence and you um, provided financially for the child – the law says then you are a parent by estoppel. And so you will be not only charged with child support, but you would have custodial rights. Um, but the Court of Appeals in 2001 said you can't use estoppel to create parentage. Oh. And it's a very telling t- decision because it really refers to parents as a man and a wife. Mm. Didn't really look at how families were being formed in New York and elsewhere. And it was it was common even back then, you know, that that same sex couples were having children. That was the law. And that law continued. Was that a case with a same sex couple? It was with a heterosexual couple. No, it was a same-sex couple. Yeah, it was, Al- it, it was Allison D and Virginia M. They were the couple. Yeah. So Virginia M was found to have no relationship to the children that she had helped raise, yeah. and that was the law in New York. In 2006, the law was revisited. Uh, in in a case called Deborah H versus Janice R, and in that case the parties had a Vermont civil union, so the court found that that in that case um, the non biological non adoptive parent had standing to seek custody based upon the Vermont civil union, mm. but in in basically dicta reaffirmed uh, Allison D. Oh. Didn't have to say it, but yeah. did it. So that it's still in New York, it was still biology and adoption. So that was the law. Along comes uh, a case um, which I got into at the at the Court of Appeals level, at the highest level in New York, it was called Brook SB versus Elizabeth ACC. We have a same-sex uh, couple who are not married. They live in New York, upstate New York, and they have a child together. 
that that uh, after three they they have birthday parties, they have a birth announcement, and they they uh, plan to get pregnant together, right? They decided to have a child together, and you yes. know, went through decided which one would carry and did insemination, and so all yeah. along planned to parent together, and they were not married because they they couldn't even be married at that time, at least not in New York. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. They were not allowed to get married and they didn't they really didn't have the ability to travel to a foreign jurisdiction, another state to to get married. And they both participated in the um, the doctor's visits and at the birth. Um, they were both integrally involved. They were as any other couple would be um, raising a child together. And um, Brooks parents were actively involved in um, parenting too. I mean, they, they saw the child quite often, um, and, uh, and helped out. I mean, they were babysitting, they, they took the child to daycare, etc. And the child knew them both as like, this is, these are my parents. This is my, this is my mommy. And these are my grandparents, right? Oh, absolutely. So there's a, uh, part of the record on appeal, um, I had put in was, um, uh, the the attorney for the child. I I was the appellate attorney for the ch- attorney for the child, but the attorney for the child um, met with the child, and when he showed him a picture of Brooke, he called her Mama B mm-hmm. and was touching the photo. You know, as because he hadn't seen her in so long, oh. and it was it's it's heartbreaking. Um, yeah. And in fact, when I met how how old was the child at that? At that time, I believe he was four and a half, five. Oh, so you know, very formative years. Um, and when I met Brooke before the argument, um, with her counsel, and we were all sitting around strategizing and planning this out, um, she showed us a video of her son, um, that she had taken. And the last thing on the video says, he says to, to, his mama B, you won't forget me, will you? Oh, and it's it's just heartbreaking. I mean, you you see that, and you know, you 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 have your charge forward to to change the law. Um, so um, what happened was the attorney for the child made the motion to the trial court for Brooke to have standing. And sorry, just to back up on the facts, though. But after they split, initially she was allowed to see the child, but then. The, the bio mom cut it off and said, no, you're not right. allowed to see the child. And she entered another relationship. Is that part of, I think that was part of yep. the facts. Sorry, just yes. to give color to what was going on. Oh, and yeah. at that no, point, it was purely, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was retaliatory. Mm-hmm. There's no question. Um, definitely retaliatory. So, uh, oh, wow. okay. yeah, and, and, and it went on for about a good year, year and a half of, of Max seeing his, his mom. Um, and she just whittled it down to, you know, and, and we even had pictures of his room in the motion papers, um, to show what it looked like. Um, and, uh, you know, birth announcements, his, uh, his communion, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, we, we, so the attorney for the child made the application for standing and the trial court really wanted to grant standing to Brooke, but said the law would not allow her to do it. Right. Because the previous case said, if you are not biological, related to the child, or you didn't adopt the child, 
you are not a parent to that child. Absolutely. That's correct. And that was a law of New York. And, yeah. and, and that's the law that was applied by the judges. And you said, I disagree. I'm going to change this. And you not did yet. it. Not yet. So, <laughs> so the attorney for the child filed uh, an appeal to the fourth department in uh, the appellate division, the mid-level. And they basically just reiterated Allison D and said, sorry, um, biological or adoption. Otherwise, you're not a parent. And the attorney for the child filed the motion for leave to the Court of Appeals of New York to ask for them to 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 look at this again. And they said yes, which was shocking because there had been two prior decisions saying, um, no, this is the law of, of of New York, biology and adoption, and we're not going to revisit it. So at that point, I got involved um, and and I met Tom Rankin and he asked me to handle the appeal. And I said, you know, was he in the case? He was the attorney for the child. Got He's it. the guy who, 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 you know, brought this to the court of appeals. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I said, OK, I've got the connections. I know Susan Sommer from Lambda Legal. I know I'm on part of the New York State Bar Association. I'm with the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. We are all going to get behind this. We're going to have yeah. our amicus briefs. You know, we I, I was I, I knew how we were putting this together, who is going to be involved, how we were going to you know, do this. And I thought, um, you know, this time we're going to win. It was a new court of appeals. They were all. Um, Democratic appointees, um, except for one gentleman, Judge Piggott. He's he was a Republican, and um, I felt we had a really good shot at doing that. And we we filed our briefs and and made the argument centered around children. The mm-hmm. argument was the focus of it was to be the best interest of the children and the harm yeah. that the court of appeals decision was having on children by ripping parents away from them. Right. Um, and and we on the day of the argument, it was um, it was a tough argument. I mean, Judge Piggott gave me a hard time uh, uh up there, but yeah, it was, a, the spot. No, it was a purely intellectual way. It wasn't, no, there was no animus. There's no agenda. Um, purely that they, they, you know, they're going to overturn two prior courts. They're going to overturn their colleagues. And what was the hardest question you thought that he asked you? The hardest question, huh? Um, I think the hardest question he asked me had to do with trust in the states and children who would be asserting uh, that they were heirs and were not biologically related and not legally related. And there was no document to prove their uh, right to inherit from a parent. And he felt that was that was very concerning to him, because if if if. You know, parentage by estoppel is is established um, through uh, courts, so it doesn't become available until someone asks to be declared that. So what you know, that's a that was a big issue in terms of how do you handle this with people who, you know, there's no DNA, there's no. Um, judgment of adoption and they're going to come and say no that was my parent right and i want their state and and that was very concerning for him um but but you know ultimately the decision that was rendered um 
eliminated Allison D. They overruled themselves. Yeah. And it's very clear. They say we overrule ourselves because the the prior decisions have hurt the children of New York by taking away parents. It's a very child-centric decision. That's huge to convince the court that, that they were wrong and to, to change their minds. Oh, yeah. It was, it was fantastic. Not only – so they overruled Allison D., which meant also that equitable estoppel could be utilized by, by individuals to create their parentage. And the court said, we're coming up with another test, a fourth way for parents, and that was the preconception um, uh, agreement, that if the parties entered into a preconception agreement to conceive and raise a child together – then that would be a way for an individual to prove that they were a parent. And it didn't have to be a written agreement. Mm. It, could be, it could be created through um, uh, actions or it could be created through surrogacy agreements. In New York, surrogacy is not allowed. Surrogacy agreements are not enforceable. However, a surrogacy agreement could be utilized to prove that someone is is in a preconception agreement because you're both listed as parents. Sure. And uh, just because this is currently happening, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. I know there's been panels convened and there's um, bills proposed to change the law. Do you do you think that's going to happen, that they'll change in New York? the law to make surrogates? Mm-hmm. No, never. For, for Albany, never. for the legislature to change really? anything. Because New, New Jersey just flipped. You know, New Jersey just changed it last week. Uh, yeah, I know. But, but, but Albany is pretty dysfunctional. And, and to, to get anything <laughs> done on the okay. family law – aside it's very 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 difficult i mean there's been bills pending regarding de facto parentage for several years and they've never even come up for a vote i don't even think they've ever come out of committee so i yeah and i've seen the bills because one of the adoption lawyers who who handled my kids adoptions was a a drafter of it so she had sent it to me to see because she knew what i was doing and wanted my input and and that bill was going nowhere um just like surrogacy is you know they they would like to legalize it here and it's it's not it's not happening right that's too bad i'm that's a a bleak outlook yeah so so as a result of Brooke, um, we got to change the law. We got to change the law of the definition of parent oh, and awesome. expand the definition so that now in New York, based upon only Brooke, there are four ways to create a parent. Biology, adoption, the preconception agreement, and equitable estoppel. And then um, there's, a, there's a fifth way, which is if a couple is married, for the presumption of legitimacy now is applicable to same-sex marriages. So, and that was another case that we had. Um, that was that was my uh, case in the appellate division uh, that I was pushing because um, I've always been pushing this idea that if marriage equality is equal, then everything has to apply to same-sex couples equally, including the presumption, even though it's biologically impossible. Um, so that's, but, but, uh, so that was, that was another case, um, that had to do with adoption and fraud and, um, uh, 
out of that that grew out of Florida and Missouri, the UK. Tell and us, tell us about that. We would love to hear about that one. Okay. Fraud in Missouri and international intrigue. It's always the best thing. Sounds very complicated. Oh my goodness! So this case is really <laughs> wild. Um, this case came to me from an adoption attorney. Uh, her name is Nina Rumble. She's in uh, Westchester County, and she came to me with the following fact pattern that is 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 almost out of a law school exam, or or maybe a Law and Order. Um, but um, oh, by the way. The Brooke SB case, as for all the Law yeah. and Order fans, there was an episode that was based upon the Brooke SB case. Oh, are you played by by Brad Pitt, or are you in there? No, no, oh. no. But it was kind of funny when you're watching Law and Order and you hear your case quoted. Right, it's it's a little wild. That's, um, that's crazy. So, so this other case is um, is based upon the following facts. It's a it's a couple. Um, that was living in London, um, n- both of them being UK uh, citizens, and they um, have a civil union in the UK. They leave and they go to Florida, and they are living in Florida together, and they decide to um, have a child, so they get a surrogate. The surrogate. So it's a it's a male couple. Yeah, it's, two a, men. it's a gay male couple, and uh, they have a surrogate, and they enter into surrogacy agreements. There's a there's they one of the, both of them are uh, donating sperm. There's an egg donor agreement, and there's a surrogacy agreement, and both of them are listed as the intended parents on those agreements. And where where is the surrogate at? In Missouri. So, and this is around. Uh, I believe it's 2013 or 2014. Yeah. Um, and, uh, or, or the agreements are probably 2012, 2013. Um, uh, one, so the, 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 the surrogate has the child. Um, one of them is the birth father. Um, and in Missouri, it's a pre Obergefell state. They don't recognize same-sex marriage. They're not recognizing uh, a same-sex couple adopting a child together. There was no second-parent adoption there um, of the child. So, um, so who was on the child's birth certificate? So it, the birth certificate was the um, the birth mother and the gestational carrier, and the biological father. Right, but the birth mother was not genetically related to the child. Excuse or was me? she? Was the was the woman who gave birth genetically related to the child? Was yeah. it a gestational carrier? Right. Just so a she gest- was not really- it was a gestational carrier. There was a separate egg donor. Um, now the Missouri in Missouri they got an order um, declaring that the mother, the birth mother, gave up her rights, and that the biological father was the father of the child. Now. My client, uh, who we'll call M, um, couldn't adopt the child because in the UK they were bo- they were planning to return to the UK, but in the UK there was case law that said if you adopted a child fo- in a foreign country and brought the child back within a certain time period, it, it's considered child trafficking, and it's criminally prosec- prosecuted. So. He couldn't adopt the child right then and there. Okay, 
But they have their Missouri order, they have the child, and they go back to Florida. And they raise the child together. They have beautiful pictures. Um, she's adorable. And, um, and then the relationship between the parents starts to get rocky. And um, my client leaves. And he goes back to the UK. He wants to work. He's trying to support his family. He can't find work in, in Florida where he is. And and he's in the UK and the the biological parent cuts off all access between the child and him. Oh, wow. Just terminates it. Can't get in touch with her doesn't know where they are. And this is about November of 2015. In March 2016, my client files for divorce in Florida and attempts to serve um, his spouse. He finds out his spouse has moved with the child to New York and lives with his uh, boyfriend in Finally, he gets served with the uh, Florida action, and the biofather commences a divorce action in the UK and serves my client with divorce in the UK. Now, the UK doesn't recognize the uh, okay. <laughs> my client as a parent, mm-hmm. and it's, very, it's just a very strange law. Um, it's a little bit archaic, but it's 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 the way they um, way their rules are. Right. And in June of 2016, they dis- the, the bio father discloses that the child has been adopted by his boyfriend. Whoa! They commenced adoption proceedings in January, soon after my client left in New York, ah. and a judge. Went through with the adoption. The judge had no idea that my client was in the picture. So he retains Nina Rumbold. Nina gets me involved. And we start a proceeding to vacate the adoption. Now, in New York, that is a really difficult, difficult process. Right. Yeah, it's very hard because it's presumed that the court is, you know, when you go through an adoption, you have the social workers, you have you have lawyers. Really? There's lots of, of documents and, and, and people attesting to the who the parents are. And so um, but no but I guess no one would have looked at that oh there was a surrogacy agreement and there was this other they person didn't involved. disclose any of it. I mean, they must have, they said, how did you become a father? He just said, oh, you know, I, I had a, I really, how do you not, how do you not ask that? Cause like, oh, I had a wife that gave birth. Like there must've been some question about how this child was conceived right. and how and, he had this child. And before they separated, they had gone back to the UK and converted their civil union to a marriage. And the, and they checked the box for the marriage to revert back to the date of their civil union. Ooh. Oh. Very important. So they were they so they were married when the baby was born. Exactly. So um, in New York, we filed, we got we had UK counsel to talk about the law that would have made our client um, 
his actions criminal if he had adopted a child. We explained everything that happened with the UK marriage and the civil union. And we filed in September of 2016. Brooke came down August 31st, 2016. So we argued the preconception agreement and used the surrogacy agreements and the egg donor agreement to show that they had a preconception agreement. Yeah. And I argued that based upon their marriage, the presumption of legitimacy applied. Right. The court issued, we, we briefed it, went back and forth, and the court um, ultimately found that the biological father had committed fraud on the court by not disclosing the marriage, the surrogacy agreements, the egg donor agreement, the fact that my client raised the child for a year and a half, never disclosed any of that and, and vacated the adoption. It was amazing. Um, and found also, had it even if there wasn't fraud, that they were he was a parent because of the preconception agreement, and 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 a parent based upon the presumption of legitimacy, and should have received notice. And the failure to give notice to a parent was basis enough to vacate the the, the adoption. Now. They, they made a motion for renewal and re-argument. They lost. And then they took the appeal to the first department in New York. And the first department unanimously affirmed and, and f- affirmed on the grounds that they had committed fraud to the court in not disclosing. And also said that, the, that this child was born during the couple's marriage and therefore is presumed a legitimate parent, child of both parents to the marriage. And, that as, and, and based upon that, our client should have received notice of the, ado- of the request for the adoption. That was – no court had ever said that in New York. I mean, that was groundbreaking in terms of the fact that a same-sex couple, the presumption of legitimacy would apply to them. Um, and it's been – it's other departments have come forward, and it's, it's, it's changed the face of, of, of New York, I mean, quite a bit. We now – we have cases with tri-custody. We have cases with three parents. That's another one I wanted to, to get into and ask. And it's amazing now that, I mean, aside from the way our families are, are changing and all of your amazing work to get that recognized, that another case you had is getting recognition when a family isn't just two parents. And tell me about, I know you've had at least one case like that, how, how that evolved and, and how you fought for that structure. Sure. So, so in that case, um, I represented a gay uh, couple, two men, who, uh, with a friend of theirs, decided to have a child all together. And all three, they had decided, would be equal parents to the child. They met with is, a, Yep. Was she actually the egg donor as well? So was nope, this a traditional was, surrogacy or just was, a gestational? She was a okay. gestational mother, and one of the, one of the guys um, was the sperm donor. And they had a separate egg donor um, who was undisclosed. Um, so they, they, the child's conceived and, um, 
and they have this agreement that they're going to raise the child together and how they're going to live together and 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 uh, who makes decisions and and even like the financial arrangements and about you know a month into it it's just not working out the child's bored wow i'm sorry i didn't know it only took a month that's amazing <laughs> yeah it didn't take very long she moves out she gets her own place and even you know it, it's 3 years later and the child's been going back and forth between her and and the and the gay couple, and he sees his mother, and he's with the dads, um, and they have they've worked out a schedule that kind of works for them, um, but there was just a lot of tension, and the mom just refused to acknowledge one of the guys as a father, um, and it turned out the the one she refused to acknowledge as the father was actually the real. Um, uh, biological dad. <laughs> the birth certificate had said otherwise because of, of health insurance reasons, but um, I mean they were both fathers of this of this child. So she just refused to acknowledge that the biological dad was a dad, and and it was just constant bantering and and things being said. So they came to me and I said, okay, we're going to have all three of you declared a parent. I just want to go in and have a judge declare you parents. I mean, the mom, the, sur- the, the surrogate mom, the gestational mom is a, birth, is a birth mother. And under New York law, she's technically a parent. So she's a parent. And under Brooke, they had a preconception agreement. So my feeling was both of them, you know, all three are part of this agreement. They're all They're all parents. And then I also said under the presumption of legitimacy, this child was born during the marriage. So therefore, this child is presumed to be the legitimate child of both of those parents. We filed the action. uh, And and the judge thought this was, you know, very interesting uh, because the theories were all, you know, I was using all the theories. One of the wrinkles in the case, because, you know, there's always a wrinkle in a case. It's never perfect. Um, Was in Brook SB, the Court of Appeals said that in New York, you can only have two parents. Mm, I was going to ask that. Is there something that restricts you from only having two or can you have more? So the statute that everyone relies on is called a habeas corpus proceeding statute, you know, to bring the child to court. Um, and it talks about either parent can bring this proceeding. And when I was arguing, the court asked me, well, how many parents can you have? And I said, well, the statute would seem to insinuate two because it refers to either parent. And I knew that question was going to come up and I knew they were concerned about that. And I wanted first to get the law changed to expand the definition. And then I was going to worry later about how many parents you could have. Um, and I actually wrote an article for the advocate that basically argues you can have up to five parents in, in the state of New York. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, so, um, so, so we, we, the judge said, you know, well, it's, 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 you know, what about Brooke and two parents? And I said, well, it conflicts with the preconception agreement and this child's three years old. This child knows he has three parents. And the mom what did the What did mom the child said, call them? Did he, was he like, this is my dad, this is my other dad, this is my mom? Is that It was mom, it was, um, I believe it was Poppy and, and, and dad. Hmm. So everybody knew who they were, and he knew who each one was. 
He was very clear. Um, so the mom, though, felt that if there were two dads, that her rights would be lessened somehow. And sure. she wouldn't have From the full set of rights. From 50% to 33 and a third, right? I, I guess. I mean, we don't we don't generally, you know, look at custodial rights as percentages. I mean, you, sure. you, you, you make decisions sure. for your children and that's where they come out. Yeah. Um, so so the judge said, OK, well, you know, this was this was a standing case as to who had standing. And the judge said, well, and this is new. This is all new in New York. So is there discovery? Do you have an attorney for the child? Do you do a forensic? Um, and he's raising all this with me. And, and I said, well, I absolutely want a forensic because if you decide that somebody of these three, one of these three is not a parent, I want the court to know what emotional effect that decision will have on this child. And just for the, the non-attorney listeners, do, yeah, a, 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 say, do a quick and dirty on what a forensic is. Yeah. For the non-attorney, the non-New York matrimonial attorneys listening, what's a forensic? Oh, a forensic is a psychiatrist who comes in to look at the family and the child and and give a report to the court as to the di- the family dynamics and the strength and the of the bond between the, the parent and the and the child and talk about how each parent uh, parents. You know, what the relationship is, what their strengths and weaknesses are, how the parents interrelate, how they handle issues, what issues are affecting the child, um, so that the court has an understanding about the family dynamic and how what's going on outside of the courtroom. Okay. Well, and that gives them a good insight into what the actual harm would be if you broke that family dynamic as well. Exactly. And I felt the court had to know that. Uh, before it could render a decision. So and did in, the court require one and was one done? Yeah, the, oh. the court ordered one and the court ordered that the child have an attorney. Right. So an attorney for the child was appointed and a forensic was appointed. Um, we went through the forensic process and as a result, the forensic made a determination that the dads should be the primary custodial parents and not the mom. If they were better suited, he called it the dyad of the men. <laughs> it was kind of interesting. At that point, the case settled. Okay. Um, she was not going to challenge the forensic. She wasn't going to go, uh, you know, forward. Ultimately, it was a, I call it a joint custodial arrangement. Um, they all three in the agreement that we drafted are equal parents. And it's very clear my clients wanted to have their own voice. They didn't want to be known as a couple. They didn't want to be have one voice because like any other couple, they disagree on issues relating to their son. So they wanted to be able to voice their opinion. That We did what's called a parenting coordinator. And in New York, that's kind of big. And, and the parenting coordinator helps the parties resolve differences. And they meet with the parties and help them kind of resolve issues. And so my clients wanted to have separate meetings with the parenting coordinator in case they differed yeah. and wanted to be able to talk about it. Um, that was a smart idea. I, I think it was great. It, you know, it, it, it showed that it wasn't two against one, you know, that the agreement wasn't written that way at all. Um, I also 
what the the other part of the of the of the case though was and i made it very clear from the very beginning we weren't going to negotiate parentage we could negotiate access time we can negotiate you know when the child has holidays and how decisions get made but i wasn't negotiating who a parent was it was clear to me that both men were parents of this little boy and so that was always off the table and i made it clear to the judge that any negotiation was that was off the table and he made that clear to the birth mother too um so that at the end of the case I gave the judge a judgment of parentage, which declared all three of them equal parents of this child. And I thought that was important because I think that's a document that you can take from state to state uh, to enforce your rights and protect yourself um, in, in different jurisdictions and show that you are, in fact, the child's parent. You know, you can't really take the agreement no one's going to say, oh, I'm going to honor your agreement. But a, co- a, a court in another jurisdiction has to honor that judgment. You know, the U.S. Constitution says so. Right. So is that essentially a de facto endorsement of a gestational carrier agreement in New York? I mean, it, it's kind of what it sounds like, is that it, it, that's what it was. The judge said, nope, these guys are the parents, but I'm endorsing the fact that this agreement happened and that they legally can you know, parent this child. Technically, yes. Okay. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, they, it, you know, we use the, there, there is case law right after Brooke, which um, talks about uh, an appellate court saying that a, a surrogacy agreement while unenforceable in New York is evidence of a preconception agreement. And therefore this person has standing. So they, they acknowledge the agreements for, different purposes, um, just that they're just not, not enforceable. Um, and it was the same in this case, you know, the court acknowledged, yeah, these are the parents. And that was in front, I made sure that case was in front of a matrimonial judge. That's great. Um, Eric, your work is so groundbreaking and so impressive and so important to the, the lives of these children and their and their parents. Uh, is there any kind of big, big thing on the horizon that you see? Anything that needs to be fixed that you're going after that you can tell us about? <laughs> um, I, I think that what's important is uniformity, um, mostly because of how much we move around. And, you know, the problems we have with with custody are not uniform. And with parents, it, it, you know, with 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 same sex couples, it's there's just no uniform law in the, in, in the United States. And I think, you know, it'd be great if we could have a, a uniform acknowledgement. We have a Burgerfell and it's gone a long way in terms of recognizing uh, the rights of same-sex couples and and the rights that go along with that, including parenting. But you know, if if you have to f- create your parentage through uh, the presumption of legitimacy, if you go to Alabama, the court may not acknowledge it. You know, that's acknowledged in New York, but maybe not in in um, other states. So I think you know one one thing I I do. Uh, suggest to my clients are these judgments that where you can get these judgments so that um 
you can take them with you to other states and show other jurisdictions, yes, I am the parent of this child. And these may be things that even may start coming up in prenups. Um, you know, ensuring that if, when parties get married, that for same-sex couples who know that one of them is not going to be biologically or legally related to the child, you could have a prenup that says, you know, we, we, we acknowledge that and we will make sure it happens so that even if the, re- the, the relationship ends, there's an intent by the parties to ensure that the parents are recognized and will not have issues later on regarding who is a, who is a parent. Um, so I think those are some things that are going to be coming, coming about. And I also think, you know, it's, it's a bit uh, coming about now, but I think um, transgender children and transgender parents are, are some of those issues as well. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, and coming out. So, you know, those are going to be issues as well. I can say, though, that, that same-sex parents in New York, at least in Manhattan and, and, and the lower part of the state, and in many parts of the upstate, it's just not an issue. Courts don't, don't – um, doesn't matter anymore, you know. They're treated equally, and that's great. And I hear that from my judges. You know, the judges tell me their their anecdotal stories, and it's not an issue anymore. Um, once it was unique, and you know, I guess unfortunately, you know, same sex couples go through what heterosexual couples do, and they get divorced. But their their appearance in court and their custodial issues are no longer nuanced. They are. Um, able to be handled by our courts and are recognized and treated equally. And that's what's important. That's great for New York. Too bad. I'm not sure the rest of the country is quite that level. But it'll come along. You know what? With the millennials and their view, um, the younger generation just doesn't see this as an issue. That's what I'm learning. They just don't see it as an issue. And so I think they will pull the nation along uh, kicking and screaming, but they'll pull it <laughs> Not all of us are kicking and screaming. So there's a lot of us who are on that side too. So, <laughs> right. I um, you're, not a mil- you're not a millennial. Sorry, that's. Oh, I'm so far from it. <laughs> I think I was born um, in another millennium. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, we aren't going to discuss my age at this point. <laughs> it's never polite to ask a woman her right. age. <laughs> Well, well, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Eric, I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on and for, for all of all of your work. And, you know, hopefully as we, you know, continue to get information out there, you'll be you'll be the go to person, at least a, a resource as, as others fight for for their rights to have a family that that they choose and believe in. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thanks. Thank you so much. Lesson of the day. Uh, I think Eric really brings brings hope that there are, are lawyers out there fighting for for those who you know were a parent and then the law didn't recognize it. So it's amazing to hear that there is hope for people and there are people out there who will fight for what's right. And it looks like the law continues to go in the right direction to recognize parents as parents. It is pretty awesome. So 
hey, everybody out there, I, I'm not even going to try to make this tie in. I'm, I'm tired. I've been moving lately. I just can't even do it anymore. Uh, but no, please, everybody go out there and check us out on iTunes and review us. We love it. Um, also, we really love getting emails. So go check us out on our website at IWantToPutABabyInYou.com. You can find contact information for us there. We, we love to hear people's feedback and to get to talk to people and find out what they're thinking about us. And um, just even positive, negative, we love to hear it. Uh, huge thanks to Chris at Work at Bird Studios, who always makes us sound better than we really probably do in real life. You know, you would be amazed at the the giggle fits that he has to edit out sometimes. Uh- <laughs> and and a huge thanks to our brand manager Lexi Steele, who also just got us on Stitcher. Yes, which is very yes. So a lot more people out there are able to hear us now. So we really appreciate all of the uh, all of the background stuff that really goes into this to to make make us seem like we are working hard, but really it's everybody else who's working hard for us. So we really appreciate it. So uh, back we, to my nap. Exactly. We look forward to seeing everybody next week after we've taken a week off. Talk to y'all soon. Bye.